Welcome to the Paranormal Pendle podcast, coming to you from the heart of Pendle Witch Country in the northwest of England. My name is Craig Bryant, author, investigator, and collector of stories. Join me as we take a journey into the paranormal, UFO sightings, cryptozoology, and big cats. This is the Paranormal Pendle podcast. Welcome to episode 15 of the Paranormal Pendle podcast, broadcasting to the Paranormal UK Radio Network at paukradio.com. My guest on this episode is author and investigator Deborah Singleton. So, hi Deborah, thank you very much for coming on. Um, Could we start just by you telling us a little bit about yourself, please? Hi Craig, thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, I was brought up with spiritualism really me great aunt was a clairvoyant so it's always been in the family it's never never really I've never thought anything else of it really um and then as obviously as I've got older I started going to a spiritualist church didn't think that was for me and I've sort of dabbled in all sorts bit ghost hunting and all sorts I've always been interested in any subject to do with paranormal anything like that so it was just kind of a natural thing and, and then obviously I've as I've gone on I've got into other groups and life's just sort of taking off so what do you recall then from from your aunt being a a clairvoyant can you can you recall any any stories that you might have been witness to I remember she lived in a a little village called Torxy which is just outside Lincoln it's basically there was no pub in the village there was um a couple of semi-detached houses my my great aunt lived in an old farmhouse um, and I remember in the school holidays, we used to go and stay for like three weeks at a time. And one night she said, I'm going to get the Ouija board out. Well, I was doing the usual like kids do, laying on the floor watching the telly. And my mum was, I could, I knew my mum wasn't really all that interested. She didn't want to get involved. Anyway, my auntie Frances set it all up in the kitchen. My mum sat down and my auntie Frances is trying to cajole her and say, you know, it'll be all right. And as soon as the glass went on the board, my mum was saying, I don't want to be here. And the glass shot off the board and smashed against the wall. And I shot up off the floor. And, and that was it then. Obviously, my mum came back in the room and my auntie cleared the glass up. And so that was my first sort of, with, with other people around, that was my first sort of experience. Um, I don't ever remember doing the Ouija board quite a lot. I just I, that just that one particular time, whether they did it after I'd gone to bed or I don't know. But yeah. That was pretty spooky. Well, they're quite dangerous, aren't they? They can be. Yeah, in the wrong hands, yeah. So did, yeah. did she ever do readings and, and that sort of stuff that, that you recall? She used to, on a night when I'd gone to bed, she used to do, like, trans mediumship. Well, she used to do mediumship with my mum, giving her messages, and my mum had a little black book that she wrote them all down, and when anything came up that my Auntie Frances had got right, it got crossed through. And I just remember this particular... Um, time my mum told me the next day I'd gone to bed my auntie Frances got settled and my mum got sat there with a little black book ready to write the messages down and then my auntie Frances started snoring so my mum sat for like 10 minutes or whatever and then she buggered off up to bed so the next morning my auntie Frances said to her where the bloody hell did you go last night she said what do you mean she went I'd gone into a trance she said you were snoring I thought you come to sleep (laughs) so yeah she missed out on that that set of messages, I think. That's that's quite strange, isn't it? Really, snoring yeah. into a tram. Yeah, I know. 
Maybe that's what my wife's doing when she falls asleep and snores at night. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. So what was your first paranormal experience then? The very first one I only recalled at the beginning of this year. Um, we'd gone, I'd gone up to Winter Hill with the Winter Hill team. I'd gone to stop with them for the weekend and we were doing some investigating up there. So we'd spent all day at Winter Hill, sort of down, is it Rivington Bar? Yeah. Rivington yeah, Park. Rivington Barn. We've been down there and had a, a BBR meet. And then we all went back to Mick and Caroline's for coffee and whatever till it got dark. And then we were going to go do a sky watch and investigation. So as we were all sat talking, one of the lasses said, I remember my daughter coming into the room and telling me that people were sitting up under a carpet. And my hand flew to my mouth and I'm like, oh my God, I remember laying on the side of my bed. I can have only just gone into a bed from a cot laying on the side of the bed and clutching the edge of the bed and watching like human-sized figures rolling about under the carpet. And I that had been buried right back in my memory because it was only until she said that and triggered it. And I thought, oh God, I remember that. Just rolling, like a couple of people rolling about under the carpet. So that was the first one. So how, um, old, how old were you then when, when that happened? Can you remember? I must have, must have only been... Well, how old are you when you go into a bed from a cot? Probably about three and a half, four, maybe. So that must have been really, like really frightening then. Yeah. And I don't, as I got older, I always told my mum anything that had happened, paranormal, anything like that, I always told my mum and she never disbelieved me. She knew that I was telling the truth. Um, but I don't ever, I, I must have been too young to put that into words because I don't ever recall telling my mum that and I don't ever recall her talking to me about it later on. So I can't, have, I can't have had the words to describe what was going on. And I think it only happened that once. I don't remember it recurring. Not like the next thing that happened. That recurred. Okay, so go on then. What was that? That was, that would be, I'd be about four and a half maybe. I don't think I'd started school. And I used to go to bed. My mum would put me to bed on a night and then she'd leave the bedroom door ajar. And it started... There were um, like little portrait pictures of kings and queens, head and shoulders. Um, and there'd be about 12 of them that would go past and they'd kind of float up and down as they went past. They'd come from the open door, past me and into the wall pretty slowly. But I knew as soon as the last one went into the wall, I had to get settled down and go to sleep. And that must have gone on for a good six months to a year. And it was like, like I say, there were only five inches sort of in an oval like you would yeah the old-fashioned little old-fashioned frames like brass frames or whatever they were like that and there were kings and queens and there was like royal carriages on these pictures and I just used to lay in bed and watch them float past and into the wall last one I'd go to sleep. So how old were you when this started? That must have been four four and a half okay. coming up to five I hadn't started I know I hadn't started school at that point so it must have been somewhere between four and five. And how long did this last for then? Um, I reckon from sort of thinking back and trying to work it out, I think that would be about six months. It was every night for about six months. And I don't, I don't know if I ever told my mum about that either, because obviously I was still only young. So I'm not sure if I did tell her about that. She never mentioned it to me over the years, so I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. But yeah. And was this in the same house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had um, 
my, my dad bought a bungalow when my mum and dad first got married. Um, and it was like a double-fronted bay bungalow and he just knocked the whole lot down and started again. Right. So the front room was like 44 foot long. And then in the middle at the back of the front room, the, the corridor ran down. So there was like your toilet, your bathroom, my mum's, mum and dad's bedroom, my bedroom and the uh, kitchen at the bottom. So it was like, I was quite a way away from the lounge. So if I'd have shouted out, I don't think they'd have heard me anyway. But I don't know. Were there, was there ever anything else um, paranormal that happened when you lived there then? There was one incident. I think it was after my mum and dad had split up and my dad left the, the family home. And I was laid on the floor with the dog. And my mum had a china cabinet. And my granny was round, my mum's mum. And I remember... All of a sudden, a picture appeared under the cabinet. There was like spindly legs that went up to the bottom of the cabinet. And, and in this space at the bottom, a picture appeared. And I said, I could see a photograph of a man. So they both said, well, what does he look like? So I described him. And at the time, I remember my granny saying, that sounds like Albert Schweitzer, who was, um, was he a philanthropist or something? Mm. He set up a hospital thing in Africa or... I didn't know who she were on about, obviously, and it's only it's only in recent years that it's come to mind again when I was writing my book. And I thought, do you know what? I'm going to have a look and see what it looks like. And it was the exact same bloke that I'd seen on like a... It looked like a photograph that was floating underneath this cabinet. And it was the same bloke that I'd seen. Why that would be relevant, I have absolutely no idea. How bizarre. I have shown that. Yeah. I, know. I, I assume then there was no... Um, link between him and, and the property, nothing. No, no, no nothing. Or, or, or the area where you lived, no. No, no. Link no. That is very strange, isn't it? it? It is, yeah. Just don't understand the relevance of it. So you mentioned um, the BBR group, which is yes. being believed group, isn't it? Research uh, and investigation, yeah. That's, that's the one, yeah. I'm not very good with acronyms. <laughs> no, I'm not quite. Well, not quite spot on with them, but I remember that one. <laughs> so how long have you been involved with them for? Um, a couple of years. I sort of joined a couple of years ago um, because I'd had my experience um, and Deborah took my report and then she asked me if, if, a while on from that if I, wanted, if I wanted to start doing the live streams on a, every other Tuesday. Um, so I've sort of jumped in with that and now I'm admin on the group and and then I go to as many meets as I can get to. Um, and I'm involved in bits of research and things for the live streams. And so, yeah, it's a good couple of years. I've sort of been, I started on the outskirts and sort of got more to the middle. But yeah. You've been dragged in to do all the donkey work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't mind. I quite like it. So what was the experience that you had then that, that started it all off? Um, one night, it was back in 1993, uh, before the advent of like the internet as such, We'd, me and my husband had gone over to York to, he'd been in the TA with this fella in York and he'd invited us over for dinner and some drinks and stuff. So I said, oh, I'll be designated driver. So we had a meal and then we went to the pub and then we left there in the early hours of the morning. Um, and the A64, York to Leeds is quite a busy road, even sort of on a weekend, it's quite a busy road with very little traffic, hardly saw any cars. So, I'm, right, I'm driving along, he'd gone to sleep in the passenger seat because he, he'd had quite a lot to drink. <laughs> and we got to about seven miles out of Leeds and I started feeling this, like, terror building up. And I thought, 
I've only got seven miles to go. I was wide awake because I've been on coke all night. So I was like absolute coke the drink, obviously. Wide awake. And then I've got the radio on. And this just this creeping terror. Anyway, got nearer to home and it was like there's a roundabout, horse roundabout. And it drops down into like a valley and then goes along and comes up the other side. Well, in the dip at the bottom, there's a um, Liverpool Canal. There's the River Air and there's the railway line that runs through to Skipton, all, all parallel to each other. So as I'm dropping down the hill, I was getting even more petrified and I'm, I'm sort of looking around, even though there was nothing to see, there were no cars, anything. I couldn't understand why I had this feeling. And then when I got down to the dip, on the left-hand side, there's a bus cut out and stood virtually at the bus stop was this shaggy shape. And it was, I mean, I estimated about seven foot tall by about four foot wide. And it was stood there at the side of the road. And I knew if I looked at it directly, I was going to die. Don't know why or how, just knew I was going to die. So I faced forward, I stuck my foot on the accelerator and I sped past. And as I went past, I looked in the rearview mirror and it stepped off the curb and into the road where I'd just driven. So of course I'm bag of nerves, shaking like a leaf. We got back home, I couldn't get my key in the door. I couldn't get a sentence out. And my husband's obviously half drunk and he's like, oh, it'll have been a tree. And I said, trees don't step out into the road. Well, it'll have been somebody in fancy dress. I said, not at that time of the morning. Buses out running at that time of morning. So then obviously, because I couldn't check on the internet, because we didn't have the internet, um, I wrote to the local paper and I said, um, I've got a story. Anyway, they came out and did a little piece in the paper. And I said, I was thinking about writing a book of people's paranormal experiences. If they wanted to write to me, I'd go and pick the letters up. Anyway, on the way home from work one day, I called into the newspaper office, there were a bundle of letters. So I got home and I made myself a brew and I sat down and I opened a few letters and then I got to this one and my blood ran cold. A young lad that worked the twilight shift at a supermarket nearby used to pass the end of my street to go home. Early hours of the morning. And he'd cycled down the hill. And when he got level with the church, which was about 400 metres down from where I lived, he'd seen two of these figures crouched in the road, in the middle of the road. So he stopped. He didn't know what the hell they were. He didn't know what to do. He couldn't, he didn't go past them. And apparently they looked at him and they got up and they went silently behind the shops. So, of course, I puts the letter down. I gets in the car and goes down the hill. And I went behind the shops. And all there is is one way in, one way out. And it's just a row of garages and a wall, so there was nothing for anywhere, anything for any, anywhere for anything to go. It was just that. And I'm like, I just, and then I'm, of course you start thinking to yourself, oh my God, they're following me. Because obviously they've come, you know, further to my house sort of thing. And you just don't know, because you don't know what you're dealing with. But that's, that really did. It, well, it confirmed what I'd seen because he said they were exactly as I described, but there were two of them. So I have no idea. I've never heard anything since about that. So is it a built, is it a built up area then? Where were you? It's like... the village. It was a village where I used to live. Right. Um, so you'd the, there were more shops at that point at that little area there. There's they've built houses now. The nearest thing to them was sort of three blocks of what you call maisonettes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But even the, the way that they were angled, even if anybody had been looking out the window, they wouldn't have seen that because of the angle of the, the buildings. So were there any so, trees or bushes or anything like that they could have gone no, in? No. No, nothing. 
it's just like I say, the road, the church at the other side, the shops. And he, he said that they'd, they'd gone to the left and gone behind the shop, the row of shops, and which was just garages. And he couldn't see them. No, he sped off. He was fra- he was absolutely. All right, so he didn't follow them. Right, got you, got you. Yeah, no, he didn't follow them. I went to have a look, but he didn't. He hadn't followed them on the night. He was petrified. So the, so the figure that you saw then, I, I assume, because you said it was like sort of seven foot tall, I assume it was it was stood upright. Yes. Yeah, I couldn't see any visible arms, legs, eyes. I couldn't even see the eyes, but I knew it was staring at me. Right. It was kind of boring into me, but I couldn't see the eyes at all. And I couldn't see you... anything other than this shaggy shape. Right, but it, but it was definitely, it wasn't, what I'm trying to get at was, it wasn't a sort of shadow. It was, no. more, it, it was, you could, you could tell that it had fur. Yeah, right. definitely. It was definitely solid. Now, I know that, that, your group, or Debbie in particular, has got a, a, a big interactive map, hasn't she? And, and she yes. loves and catalogues everything. Have there been any mm-hmm. other sightings then in that area then that, that you know of? No, not not in that immediate area. We have had um, a couple of reports since. I, I heard of a report just up the road before you drop down the hill. Um, there's a place called Rawdon, and a lady there had swerved to avoid a dogman running across the road. Right. Um, and that particular area, there's a cemetery there and it's really wooded and perfect location for that sort of thing. Yeah. And then a bit further on Leeds Bradford Airport, there was a report that a, a gentleman had made of his, his mum stood in the kitchen. They had a little farmhouse. She was stood in the kitchen washing up and there was very deep growling outside the kitchen window. So they're the only two reports sort of from round that area but that little bit of Rawdon where the cemetery is the back of there is a, a road called Knot Lane and I I my grandma used to be in a nursing home down there for a while and I had at the time we had a um, Diatsu 4 by 4 and the road stops being like tarmac and it goes to like really rough off-roading kind of stuff so my husband said to me oh you want to take you know take car and have a little play so I thought oh well because I could cut through to where I needed to be anyways I went down this road I saw this temple um sort of set in some trees pretty well hidden but the sign outside said temple of the order of the golden dawn well I found out since that that was Alistair Crowley's lot and when I went back to investigate in the last two years it's actually changed it's a white spirit lodge now but it just made me wonder whether, because of the association with Alistair Crowley and all this, you know, Satanism and that kind of thing, whether things have been conjured up around that area. It's a possibility, I suppose. For those people who don't know who Alistair Crowley is, can you just give us a sort of very brief... He uh, was an author. Right. Um, but he dabbled in the dark arts. He had... Um, a house at the side of Loch Ness, Bolskin House. Um, I think a musician bought that after his death, if I remember right. Jimmy Page or something like that. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, but he dabbled in the dark arts, basically. Right. Um, a lot of sex magic he did. Oh, right, okay. um, so I'm presuming if he had if these these Temple of the Golden Dawns were part of his his thing, they had rituals and things inside them. And, yeah. But I actually went... Um, Mick McLaren 
and his partner, Caroline, came over and we actually went down Not Lane because I told them about this lodge um, and we went to investigate. And as we got level with the lodge, it was like all three of us had been on the lash all afternoon. We were staggering about, our heads were spinning. Apparently there's a very, very strong ley line that, that runs across there as well. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Active area. Yeah, it's interesting that because I, uh, I spoke to Debbie a couple of weeks ago um, on the last yeah. podcast, and she was she started off by telling me about her experience when she was um, a schoolgirl, and we yeah. were talking about ley lines and possible portals and all and all that yeah. sort of thing. So, so that's interesting. Have there been any recent um, sightings up on Winter Hill? Because the reason I'm asking is because, as listeners will know, I live in Lancashire, you're over in yeah. Yorkshire, and Winter yeah. Hill's quite close to where I live. So I've, I've got a, yeah. a real interest in what's going on there. And I have interviewed Mick. I spoke to Mick yeah. a few months ago now, and, and he told me all sorts of really quite frightening things about what was going on at Winter Hill. Yeah. I mentioned Dogman as well. So, yeah, um, So yeah. I mean, if, if there's anything been going on up there recently that you could that you could tell us about I'm not sure that there is actually. I mean, I'm not involved in the Winter Hill side of it. Okay. Um, I know that they're, they're keeping an eye out on uh, sheep carcasses. I think at one point there were 14 mm. up there, scattered across the top of the hill. Um, and one of them in particular had had its, its ribs pulled apart, properly pulled apart and opened. So, I mean, any natural predator, well, we haven't got predators in this country that take sheep down anyway, have we really? No. So whatever it is, is not of this realm, should I say. But it's a very interesting place up there. It's it's beautiful as well. Yeah, it is. It is. Can we um, talk about UFOs then, UAPs? Um, we can. Because you, you mentioned in the email you sent me um, with, you know, with a sort of brief brief history of, of what you get involved in. You mentioned, was it 1976? It was, yeah. Uh, um, a very close-range UFO sighting, so... Yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, it was a primary school. We were... Me and my best friend, Sandra, were on the school field, so I know it was definitely summer because we were only allowed on the school field in the summer months. Um, we were just playing on the field. Everybody else, the rest of the school was on the field. And as we are playing, I could hear this noise, like a droning noise in the distance. And I just sort of, like... I don't know why it made my ears prick up, but anyway, we carried on playing and it got louder. And I said to Sandra, what is that noise? And when we looked up, there was this massive craft approaching us. I mean, I, I'm no good at distance, size, whatever, but it was huge. And it was round, um, not like a typical flying saucer. It, from the side, it would have looked like a sausage shape. And it was covered in tiny little mirror mosaic tiles. And it came across and it, the sound was deafening. And I looked around and not one person was looking at it. They were all playing. And as it got above us, it was like everybody was stood on the perimeter of this craft on the field playing. And we were in the middle, just me and her, looking up at this thing. And it was, I don't even know, height-wise, maybe as low as a tall tree above us. And it just covered, covered the sky above us. And it, it kept the same speed, the same trajectory. It never changed. And it went pretty, I'd say about four miles an hour. It was pretty slow. And we were looking up at it. And the only thing I can remember, I can remember symbols underneath it. 
and the only one that I can remember looked like a trident, you know, like the fork, the three-pronged fork, mm. with like a bit of a tick off it somewhere. Okay. Looked like a, that's all I can remember. I can remember there were other symbols, but that's the only one that stood out. And then we watched it glide across the school and go out of view. It didn't speed up and shoot off. It didn't do any of that. It just glided straight across and went. So, of course, we were really excited about it. Nobody else had said, I don't remember asking anybody else if they'd seen it, but they clearly hadn't because they weren't looking at it. It was only me and Sandra that were aware of it. The rest of the school field was just carrying on as normal. So when my mum came to pick me up, I was telling her all about it. When we got home, this is what I mean about she always believed everything I told her. Because obviously Sandra would... My mum and her mum used to come up to school to pick us both up. So obviously we were chattering about all this. So when we got home, my mum said... Um, she rang ITV, the BBC, and Leeds Bradford Airport because we were on the flight path to Leeds Bradford Airport and nobody knew anything about it. Or there were, if they did know about it, they weren't saying anything about it. But yeah, that was pretty close. So do you think that the, the other kids that were there either um, didn't see it because they were playing or they couldn't see it? Looking round, thinking about looking round, I would say more that they couldn't see it. That's what it's They couldn't see it and they couldn't hear it. So I wonder why... Sorry, I wonder why you could then. I don't know. This has always puzzled me, why it was just us two that were picked out. And did did anybody come back from from the media? Uh, Any... No. No. Nothing. Nothing. Just think you were (laughs) Probably, yeah. (laughs) It's funny because... Years later, you know, when Friends Reunited was on the go, I actually managed to get back in touch with Sandra. So when we kept in touch and when Friends Reunited disappeared, we kept in touch on Facebook. Yeah. And I said, we're only only living like three miles from each other. We'll meet up and have a drink, catch up. and seen each other since primary school. And both of us mentioned it at the same time. We both said, do you remember? And she described it exactly as I remembered it. So So, it obviously made a really big impression on her as well. Yeah. Yeah, but see, it was just thinking about it now. It was just vast. It was no, I can't. It was it was obviously beaming down on us because if you can imagine a ray of light coming from it and spreading out onto the floor, we were in that circle. All the other kids were on the perimeter, just playing as normal, like nothing was happening, and we were just in this the beam of this thing. It was not as though it was giving out a beam, but you know what I mean. We were in its perimeter, inside. You didn't have any missing time then? Not that I can remember. I think I think if we would have done, we'd have that just stood out because obviously it was dinner time at school. So if yeah, if we'd have been missing or anything that have happened, there would have been something about it. So I'm just presuming we witnessed this thing passing over. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's that is really interesting. I, I was just wondering whether you were sort of on a different time to everybody else mm-hmm. or um, maybe you'd been taken slightly off to a different um, dimension dimension yeah, yeah. You, know, you know you could still see what was around you uh, yeah so that would explain why nobody else could see the craft because it was slightly yeah, it not not getting too star trekky but it was a bit out of phase to everything else yeah so yeah have you seen know, it's not... sorry have you seen yeah. any others any other UFOs? Okay, go on. I would have said, rather than UFOs, I would have said UAPs. 
unidentified aerial phenomena. Um, one was actually, I was due to go see Paul Sinclair up at Brid. Mm. And the week before, the weather was beautiful. And I said to my friend at the time, I said, should we have a road trip and go to Flamborough on the coast? Anyway, we did that. And I said, while I'm here, I'd like to have just nip up to Bempton Reserve and just see, because I'd read Paul's books, but I couldn't get into mind how he was, you know, I wanted to see it for myself sort of thing. And like I say, I was going back to Brid the week after to go actually visit him. So we went up this road and up to the bird sanctuary, whatever it is, and then we came back round, came back down the road. My friend was driving because it was her car. Um, and as we're coming down, we, we were coming up to like a chalet park on the left and there was a hedge and fields on the right. And I saw this thing come up over the hedge and it was the size of a, like, um, well, at first I thought it was a helium balloon that got loose. And as it came up over the hedge, it floated upwards and across to come across the road. It was actually tumbleweed. Sounds very stupid, but it was tumbleweed. That's the only thing that it looked like. And it was almost like a bundle of sticks that had been mashed in a loose ball. And it floated like it was, it wasn't blowing about. It was, it had a little course that it was following. It floated up and as it got level above the road, it turned and it was flat. And it was, it, again, it was sticks and it was woven in a circle with a hole in the middle, like a donut. So it was sticks all around the outside with a hole in the middle. And it went up to the trees. There were some quite tall trees where the chalet park was. And it went up to the trees, stopped and went up the front of the trees and across the top and gone. And I'm, my friend wasn't into all that sort of thing. She's passed away since, bless her, but she wasn't into all that sort of thing. And I'm sort of saying to her, oh, my God, what is that? Look at that. And she's like, I don't know. Well, she wasn't actually looking at it. So there was only me that saw it. But that was the only way I could describe it. So when, when I visited Bempton the following, uh, sorry, when I visited Paul the following week, he took me up to Bempton to the, to the location and, I'd actually thought, for some reason, I'd thought there was a school at the other side of this hedge, which is why I thought of the balloon being let free. And there wasn't, there wasn't anything there at the other side of the hedge. So what it was, why it, if it had been just sticks or what, the first off sticks would have been too heavy to, to come up in the air on their own like that. There was nothing hanging off it. There was nothing attached to it. And they would have fallen out of the sky. They, do you know what I mean? If it, yeah, yeah. Or if it had been grasses or anything, they'd have blown about. And, yeah. But this didn't. It stayed in this shape. Like I say, it started off as a ball, turned sideways into a flat thing of sticks. And then, and then, like I say, when it got to the trees, got to the tree and went up the front of the tree and across the top and gone. So I have no idea what that was. Paul didn't know what it was. Did it make any sound at all? No. Sorry. And we have the windows down because it's a lovely day. Yeah. So I was going to say that could, that could discount a drone then, couldn't it, or something like that? Yeah. Um, because well, there was nothing nothing mechanical attached to it no, at all. They're quite noisy, aren't they, drones? Yeah, they are. They make yeah. a bit of, because they've got the whizzing blades, aren't they? So. Yeah, yeah. We we sometimes yeah. get get them over here because people send them up over towards Pendle and Pendle. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. With with there's a big quarry very close to us yes. as well, and people fly them over the quarry. So yeah, I mean, yeah. They are noisy. That's odd. Did anything else strange ha uh, happen then when while you were up there, while you were with Paul up there? No, no. I did get a... 
it's always mentioned Dane's Dyke and I have been past the entrance to Dane's Dyke hundreds of times over the years and I've never ever thought of going down and he said well we got talking about it and I said um, I've never been to Dane's Dyke he went I'll take you down and as soon as we started driving down bearing in mind still a nice day daylight really lovely there's just so, there's a creepy feeling down there I didn't like it I was all I wanted to lock the car door I was all on edge and I said to him I don't like the atmosphere down here he said oh, I think I've been that many times I'm used to it now I said no I'm not I'm not keen, so I don't know if I was picking up on something there, but there's definitely an odd atmosphere. So when you say dyke, is it is it sort of like a, a drainage channel, that, that sort of thing, or, or is it more it's, of a, an earthwork? It's more like an earthwork. It was, um, was it the Vikings or somebody like that? I'm not up on my history, really, but yeah. that kind of thing, they built a, an earthworks kind yeah, of thing, but as you drop... Yeah. Yeah. As you drop down into it, there's just loads of trees right. all over. And it, it kind of, I don't know, it, it's just oppressive, a really oppressive atmosphere. So it may well like to think of down there on a night. Yeah, I know what you mean. So it may well have been a settlement then or something like that. So Yeah, it could, could quite easily have been, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I wonder if there's any any paranormal activity attached to it, and that's what you were that's what you were picking up on. Possibly, yeah, because dogman's been seen in the area around there. Right. Um, there's a, a guy that lives in the woods, he's homeless. Well, he's built himself a home in the woods. Paul takes him food down and what have you. Oh. Um, and he said that one night the police had been called. Somebody had, must have been around Dane's Dyke and, and the police had been called because they'd spotted some sort of dog-like animal or roaming about. Um, but this this bloke that lives in there said he'd not heard a thing. So, yeah, creepy area. Very strange. He's very strange up there. I've spoken to Paul. Yeah. I had Paul um, as a as a as a guest. Yeah. Quite a while ago now. One of one of my earlier guests. Um, yeah. Very fortunate to talk to him because I know he's a very busy man. And he is, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. Um so you mentioned a couple of books that you'd written. Yes. Um yes. do you want to tell us how, how they came about? Any good stories? Um they came about because I've got I was talking to Deborah and she said, we got, we got on about various things that had happened. And she said to me, you need to get all this written down, you know? And I said, yeah, I suppose I should really. So I started writing it down. As I looked at it, I thought, I've done it kind of chapter by chapter. It looks a bit like a book. <laughs> so anyway, I was telling Deborah that I'd been writing it down. She said, get it published. And I went, nobody's going to want to read that. It's all my own experiences. She went, of course they will. People that are interested in these sort of subjects love all that sort of stuff. Anyway, I published the first one um, with like what I thought at the time was all my lifetime experiences. And then as I sat thinking, I thought, oh, I forgot to put that in. Oh, I didn't put that in. And then other things that came up and somebody had remind me of something. And then I ended up with, I mean, they're not very long books, but I ended up doing book two then. Um, but I remember one of the stories that had a little bit of a twist to it. When I moved, when, when my mum and dad split up, we decided to go live in Lincolnshire because that's where my granny lived at the time. And my mum wanted a bit of a, a clean start and everything else. So we ended up in a little village, same thing, one shop, one pub. My granny lived on the main road. We lived in the on the high street in the village. And... When I got to the school, I knew no, nobody at the school because obviously I'd moved away from Leeds and started at a brand new school. So I knew nobody. 
So you get given a mentor. Um, so I've got this girl complete opposite to me. I'm proper uh, giggly and bouncy and she was she was really studious. And anyway, we got on all right. So she showed me which classes I need to be, needed to be at, what I needed to do. And then she said to me, um, oh, my mum would like to know if you'd like to come for tea. So I said, oh, yeah, that'd be lovely. And we, because we lived in villages, outlying villages, we had a series of coaches that used to come and you'd get on the coach that took you to your village. So I got on her coach to go with her. She said, my brother will take you back home because he was of the age where he could drive. So we had tea and everything, played a few games, and then it got to about half past eight. And she said, oh, Peter will take us home now, take you home. So she got in the passenger seat, I got in the rear. Peter was driving and he was very careful of driving because in Lincolnshire, they have dikes, at, drainage dikes at the side of the road and some of them could be quite deep. And then the roads can be quite narrow, so it's a bit, no street lights. So it can be a bit tricky. So he was going fairly slowly. And as we came away from their house, I could say this, this village was more a hamlet. There were just a couple of houses dotted about, but funnily enough, in the village, there were two churches, which I always thought was really odd. But anyway, we're driving out of the village and I could see this church. We were coming towards this church. And in the, the church was completely in darkness, apart from one window. And I could see hooded figures, like dancing around in a circle in candlelight. And I was staring at this scene as I went past. I didn't want to say anything because I didn't know either of them that well. I didn't want to make a fool of myself. But I was watching this as I went past and it just gave me the shudders. I mean, I'd be like 12 or 13 by this point. It just gave me the shudders. Anyway, I got home and I told my mum about it. And then when my mum died, I ended up with all the diaries and I, I found the part where she'd written in how it had affected me, you know, that I wasn't myself for a couple of days and she'd written down exactly what I told her about seeing these figures. So when I'm doing book two, I thought, I need to find out where this village is. So I got in touch with my best friend of 40 odd years and I went, what village did so-and-so live in? So she told me. I'm not going to mention it because of what came after that. So I went on Google Street View and I followed the village through and I found these two churches. And the first one I thought, I was trying to picture how I'd seen it from the back of the car and I thought, no, that's not it. So the second one, I clicked on the picture and that was the church and the headlines underneath. It sometimes brings up news reports about things that are relevant. And underneath it said, satanic worship in abandoned church. And my, my blood went cold. I went covered in goosebumps. And I'm like, I've got it right, that was that church. And it had been abandoned, funnily enough. We moved to that village in 1980, back in sort of October time, 1980, and it had been abandoned in 79, so the year before. But apparently it was prevalent in that church, that's what they used it for. Right. And that's obviously what I'd seen on that night coming home. So it was just that particular church. Have you any yeah. idea why they... they homed in on that church in particular i've no idea i do know the name of it and i don't know i need to look at i've never heard well i'll, I'll say it actually some bolt-offs right. i've never actually heard that you know you get st andrews and st john's and i've never actually heard that name so i don't know what the history of that name is i've i've heard that um, i'm sure there's one in preston right oh. there's something i need to look into because oh. i've never heard it before yeah. Volta. Yeah. Obviously, um, a slightly more obscure. Um, yeah. 
I think it's Catholic saint actually, but I'm not right. I'm not big into religion, so I wouldn't know. Uh, It'll certainly be interesting to, to do some research. What's the um, what's the names of the books then? What are the what, what... the first one? They're both available on Amazon Kindle download only because it won't worth getting them put into paperback for the size of them. Uh, the first one is Life is Strange by me, and the second one is Life is Stranger, also by me. So, yeah. Well, I'll definitely have to check them out. You mentioned... You. Um, no, I will do, definitely. Um, you mentioned that... Um, now, the Facebook page, Codes of the Unknown? Yes. So what's that, um, what's that all about? That's... Well, it's to do with anything unknown. Um, it was set up by Andy Booth, a friend of mine, um, I started. I started following some of the stuff that we did, they were doing on YouTube, and then I went on the Facebook page. And then he asked me if I wanted to be a moderator, and then I ended up being admin, and now I'm second in charge. Um, and we put out live there. streams. It's a bit of a theme, what? There, Deb, isn't there? It's a bit of a theme. Yeah, there, yeah, there is, yeah. <laughs> Instead of getting dragged second in, in charge. Yeah. <laughs> um, you either keen or gullible. Which one is it? I'm not sure. <laughs> keen, I think I'll go with Keen, yeah, we'll actually. Go with Keen. We'll go with Keen. Um, yeah, we do live streams every Friday night. So one week we'll be in the studio, the next week, if the weather's all right, we do live investigations. Um, we've got a Halloween special coming up that is very special. I can't talk about it, but it's very special. We've got some really good guests coming on. Um, but like I say, it covers anything, anything unknown, hauntings, you know, most of the investigations have been sort of graveyards and things. We have picked quite a few bits up. Um, we've found one recently on the last investigation that somebody actually wrote in and said, I don't suppose you've noticed this, and we've found this footage, part of this footage, where there's there's no doubt that it's it's something ghostly. Okay. So we're gonna be we're gonna be releasing that shortly and so you can't tell yeah. me about that at the moment. Yeah, well it's basically it's it's a shadow, okay. but it's not cast by any of the lads that we're investigating. It's nothing. It's not cast from them. It's it's got its own right path. Yeah. So Andy's video clipped it, and we're going to be putting it out on one of our catch-up shows. So what's the YouTube channel then? The YouTube channel is Codes of the Unknown. Yeah. Um, we've also got a website, www.codesoftheunknown.co.uk. Um, anybody who wants to come to YouTube and subscribe, that'd be great. Because um, we, we do cover some interesting stuff when we're in the studios. We have discussions about we'll pick topics and yeah. and then go with what people are putting in the chat, and so it's pretty good. So can you tell me about any of the investigations you've done then? Um, the the lads did. There's a a cemetery down Northampton because that's where Andy's based. Uh, called Kingsthorpe Cemetery, and. The first time they went to investigate it, before that they went to some church ruins over the road. And as they were going round, a little baby bunny rabbit came up to Andy's foot and sat there. And I'm talking, it could have sat in the palm of your hand. And it sat at his foot and he bent down and he was stroking its head. And it was like, not bothered, not scared, didn't run off. It were eating bits of leaves and then it kept coming back to his foot. And then it kind of like ran and stopped and looked back as if to say, you're going to follow me. So that was the first weird thing. And then when they got into the cemetery to do it, this cemetery is enormous. It just covers so much land and there's all different bits to it. Um, 
they've heard noises, growling, screaming, but not like fox noises because they're, they're all aware of what wildlife sounds like. Um, there's, there's just, it's really active. And then one of the last, the time before last that they went, there was a figure being cloaked by a tree. It was cloaking itself with a tree. And you could see it as Andy came up from the side of the hedge. It was just stood there. And me and the other presenter at the time just went, what the hell's that? And it was stood there. So we've gone through all that footage. Andy came across a, a man sat on a bench. Uh, I mean, who sits on, on a cemetery bench in the middle of the cemetery at like half past nine, quarter to 10 at night. But anyway, the footage is on, on the Facebook group. I think it's on the YouTube channel. Uh, he talks to this man and you can only just hear what the man's saying and he sounds Dutch. Hmm. Andy was pointing the, cap the phone at him, filming, and there's absolutely no footage of that on the film, but when we've got, we've actually caught the stills as Andy's approaching him, his face is like fire. You know Ghost Rider where he's on in flames? Yeah. That's what this figure's face is like. And his hands are just like bright white. Very weird. So We've got some weird things. Did he have a, a conversation with him then, or or was he? Yeah, he said, as he approached him, he said, "Oh, sorry, mate, I didn't need, to, I didn't mean to blind you. I can't remember what the the bloke said. He didn't say why he was there or anything, but it was definitely as I listened because I was listening back to it to to try and get the information. Um, it was definitely Dutch, and the next time that they went back, they went to this this part of it that's. Um, like a, a war cemetery mm. and, and one of the names on one of the gravestones was Dutch so it's like was it could it have been the spirit you know the spirit of the Dutchman because he was sat near the war cemetery mm. I was going to ask you if if they checked the graves out yeah yeah yeah, so yeah. very feasible and if he was um, killed in in conflict in you know yeah. action that, down, maybe. that might explain the the flames yeah, it was that's, unbelievable when we looked. That's quite a creepy one, that, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Andy was creeped out when he walked, because when he approached him, he, he said, I felt fine. It was when I walked away from him, I thought, what the hell? Just so he picked up on something as he walked away from him. And then it turns out that, like I say, the stills, it was his face was just flame. Very strange. You've got lots of interesting things coming up by the sounds of it. You also moderate for, for Paul's live stream as well, don't I you? I do. Yeah. Um so I won't I won't ask you if you have to filter stuff out on that because <laughs> I've done a I have done a live stream for Paul myself and it was all very similar. Yeah. But I can imagine yeah. that, that you do. Do you get comments that you have to yeah, do you? Do you yeah. That, that yeah. You, have to, you have to get out, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have to. If the offensive comments anyway, they get flagged up before I can I can either delete them or show them. Right. So they get flagged up. So, but if there's if it's somebody that's like a repeat offender, then they get booted out. That's what I'm there for. Yeah. So you, can... you don't need that sort of stuff going on. Of course not. No, no. And and I suppose you can you can ban them, can you, from the from yeah. the chat rooms? Well, from that show, you can't ban them from shows going forward, but from that particular yeah. one, you can. So yeah. So has Paul got any interesting guests coming up then that we should keep an eye on that, that you're uh, going to be moderating? Do you know, I don't know. He sometimes doesn't decide while sort of like beginning to middle of week and then yeah. I, I tend to, because I've got so much going on in my head, I tend to forget who he said then, but well, it does I can't remember like, who it is. Yeah, it does sound like you've got a lot of fingers in a lot of pies. <laughs> yeah, I have, yeah. 
Where's the best way to get in contact with you, if people want to get in contact with you, Deb? Well, they can um, request friendship on my Facebook page or they can email me at deborah.singleton, all lowercase, at hotmail.co.uk. That's my email address. If anybody's got any stories that they want to tell me or anything they know about Yorkshire, ghost, ghosties and ghoulies or anything like that, I'm, you know, I'm quite happy to receive emails. And have, have you got any, any more books in the pipeline or any other um, projects like that? No, I don't think so. I've run out of all my experiences now because, like I say, I filled my second book with the ones that I'd forgotten to put in the first book. So I think unless anything crops up, going forward that I can maybe write about yeah yeah I'm always up for writing another book I did actually quite enjoy doing it to be fair yeah yeah no it yeah. is it's good fun but it's finding the time it is. Right? yeah that's finding the thing the when, you're, when you're busy doing other things it's, yeah um, it's been really good talking to you we've we've covered some ground there Deb it's been great um we have it's been yeah. lovely and some quite some quite spooky stories as well I'd love to keep will you sleep tonight <laughs> probably not probably not <laughs> I don't sleep very well at the best of times, to be honest. No, me neither. Um, especially, uh, especially where I live, it, it is quite—it's quite rural. And the more I talk yeah. about things, the more, <laughs> the more I get. Yeah. To be quite honest with you, so I'm going around shutting all the curtains. Well, yeah, I'm permanently look out for things like Dogman and um, <laughs> you know Sasquatch or Bigfoot yeah. or whatever you want to call them. But uh, yeah, oh, like I say, it's been really great talking to you. Thanks for coming on. And um, thanks for having me. We'll keep in touch and uh, yeah. yeah, thanks very much. Speak to you soon. Thank you to Deborah for coming on today's episode. Remember, I have a website which is www.craigbryant.co.uk. I'm always happy to hear from people. You can email me through the website. If you have a story to tell and you think it might make a good podcast, then please drop me a line and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it and remember to keep watching the shadows.